Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, my name's Ollie. I'm the youth pastor here. And I just want to share a bit about what we're doing as a ministry. Um, every Friday night of term, we run an outreach called Overflow, where we want to see young people encounter Jesus. Uh, we've got an exciting term coming up. Uh, we're going to be looking at crazy stuff Christians believe and why it's really good news. So we're hoping to tackle some of the tougher topics and that our youth will want to bring their friends and discover how it is true and why it's good news for them. Uh, we're also running our flow groups, our discipleship communities, where we're loving each other uh, and building up to know Jesus and love, and love His Word. It's also uh, coming to the end of the year, particularly for our Year 12s. I just want to invite you to be praying praying for our Year 12s, especially in our community. Uh, it's only a couple of weeks of school and then uh, swap vac and then exams and they're done. So this year's just flying, flying by. But uh, yeah, I want to ask you to uh, pray for our Year 12s, especially in this important time. Uh, I remember when I was in Year 12, and it was kind of this time of year, the end of Term 3, uh, as when I experienced one of the uh, biggest challenges or crises in my faith. Uh, it was the end of term three. It was the night before the school formal. Uh, and I remember um, a bunch of our school leaders were setting up for the form. We'd finished and we decided to go to one of our friend's house for a drink afterwards. Uh, so we went along and it inevitably came up that I wasn't drinking. Uh, and the conversation quickly took a turn to a grilling of my beliefs. And I remember this night. I remember driving one of these guys home afterwards and I'd driven him home a few times we'd carpooled a lot and as we would drive we would debate and and talk about Christianity but I remember pulling into his driveway and uh, this guy looking at me and and saying Ollie the way you talk about Christianity I don't want it I don't want it there's no joy there's no life or love and at this my heart just, just melted because I, I knew the gospel. I knew that the message of Jesus is hope and, and life and love. That's the, the heart of it. And yet, yet what he had heard was something different. I think God really showed me that I had missed the heart. I'd been so consumed with trying to be right that I'd actually missed the heart of God that is moved with compassion and love and life. Nothing I had said was untrue, but I discovered that what my, was that my heart had become more motivated in protecting my image than genuinely loving these guys and pointing them to the rescuing love of Jesus. And so today, as we come to the middle of September in our mission month, we need to remember the why. We need to be so clear on what it is that motivates us to share the good news of Jesus. You see, we don't do mission or mission month to look good. We don't do mission to make our social media look impressive. Or we don't do mission out of this obligation that that's what Christians are meant to do. And and that's what churches should be on about. Rather, the passage today from Jonah, we're reminded that mission must come out of our conviction of the compassionate heart of God. It's Christ's love that compels us. 
Yet many of us will still be reluctant when it comes to the idea of mission. I, I suspect, because I know my own heart, is that when the preachers get up here and we start calling the church to mission and evangelism, it makes us uncomfortable. I've, I've been there. Either we tune out and we think they're talking about someone else, or, or maybe we might uh, turn to despair, or we might turn to pride and we kind of form this great theology of evangelism, but with no real heart or love uh, to go and tell anyone. Jonah 4, as we'll see today, is a revealing diagnosis of what might be at the root of our reluctance. You could say why it's not us, but more importantly, why it should be us. And we're going to see this today, why it should be our deep joy and delight to go and be a witness to those around us of the gospel we'll see that it is the compassion of God that will shake us out of this reluctance and into the powerful presence of joining Christ in His mission. The thing that will shake us out of our apathy and our fear and fuel each of our God-ordained mission is God's compassion, His mercy for a world that desperately needs Him. So we're going to see. So let me pray as we come to Jonah. Our Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you so much that you've revealed yourself to us and that we're not blind or in the dark. But God, I pray as we come uh, before you now that you would teach us and um, shape us, give us humility, uh, but captivate us, Lord, by the beauty and the glory of your great love uh, and your true character. Amen. We all love uh, to tell our kids this Sunday school story. Uh, Jonah was called to go, but Jonah said, no. No. He decides to go the other way. He jumps on a ship heading to Tarshish. Running from God is is never really a good idea, and God appoints a storm uh, that threatens to kill everyone on board the ship. Jonah, knowing the judgment is there for him, he elects to be thrown into the sea, and as he's tossed overboard, the sea becomes calm. Jonah, however, is spared judgment. He's not drowned, but instead he's swallowed by this fish. For three days and three nights, Jonah prays in his fishy tomb until the fish spits him out onto dry land. This time, Jonah obeys. He makes his way to Nineveh and he proclaims God's word to the city. Then come these amazing words. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They fast and repent. Even the king, even the cows are covered in sackcloth and call out mightily to God. And then at the end of chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Well, you'd expect at this point in the movie that you'd roll the credits, yeah? Nineveh had been spared disaster. It's a great story. Surely Nineveh would be lifting Jonah up on their shoulders in jubilee. The camera would pan out, the music would play, the credits would go. Or maybe you're a Breakfast Club fan and at the end of the movie, Jonah walks out with glee on his face, fist bump, freeze frame. But that's, that's not what we get here. We, instead, we're left with this kind of awkward postscript of chapter four that's it's sometimes left out of the kid's story because it's kind of, well, what do you do with it? Jonah is angry. 
He is exceedingly displeased. Why? Why would this annoy him so much? Well, let's take a look. Chapter 4, verse 1. If you've got your Bible there, read along with me. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Here we get the real reason why Jonah was fleeing to Tarshish and why he was so reluctant to go to Nineveh. It's not that Jonah doubted God, nor was his theology a problem. In fact, his theology, his knowledge of God was exceptional. He knew God's revelation of himself to Moses at Mount Sinai in Exodus 34. Uh, Moses had pleaded to God to show me who you are. Show me your glory. I want to see you. And so God allows Moses, he places him behind a rock to kind of shield him from the power of his glory. And we read this, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. So you're imagining the glory of the Lord passing before him. He's about to say his name. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And we read it in our worship this morning. This wonderful truth. But Jonah says this is the reason why he shirked his responsibility to go to Nineveh with his prophetic word. It was because he knew the character of God. He knew God would be merciful if they repented and he did not want to give Nineveh the opportunity to be saved. Nineveh, the great Assyrian city and oppressor, the foreign nation, an enemy of Israel. Jonah wanted judgment not mercy. Why was Jonah reluctant? He wanted judgment, not mercy. And therefore, Jonah, he sees no way forward. His pride destroyed, his honor rotting in the belly of a fish. He says this, verse three, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah wants judgment, not mercy. He wants Nineveh destroyed for its evil, destroyed for its wickedness. Jonah cries out for justice. And yet at the same time, he's just completely blind to his own rebellion and pride. You see, and then the Lord asks him, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Jesus later, he condemns the Pharisees, the Jewish elites for this same heart. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. The, the Pharisees wanted judgment, not mercy. Today, as modern progressive society, we think that we love compassion, mercy, and we disdain the idea of God's judgment. But I want to ask, are we really that different? We love judgment, not mercy. I'm imagining the photo 
of President Obama in the Situation Room with all his significant staff and military officials, rejoicing, celebrating at the assassination of Osama bin Laden. Judgment. We expect in the movies that we watch that the bad guys get killed, right? But we want them to have a slow and painful death. We love judgment. We want the sporting cheats to be shamed. We love judgment. But you know what? I, am, I know that I'm culpable of this too. I want to share with you the other day, I caught my heart in a shameful moment of pride and skepticism when I discovered that one of my friends, uh, who I thought had left the faith, who'd walked away, had in fact repented. You'd see, you see, I'd harbored anger in my heart uh, towards him because he had made these decisions to walk away. And I, I'd written him off and I'd looked down on him, I'd demeaned him and, and I was hoping to be able to say and, and thinking in my heart, I told you so, when his life kind of drifted away. I told you so. A couple of years went on and just the other day I heard that he, in fact, he was actually following the Lord, witnessing to others and maturing in his faith. And my first reaction wasn't delight. It was skepticism. I was quite happy in my pride to be able to look down on him. And so I reacted in, in skepticism. And I had to quickly check my heart. This ugliness just kind of surfaced. And I had to confess it to a brother. I wanted judgment, not mercy. And in that moment, what had happened is that I had forgotten my own identity and the mercy God has shown to me and, and to my sin every day, the mercy continues to show me. You see, this is the same irony of Jonah's anger. Jonah knew his own wickedness in disobeying God. He'd had this revelation in the storm. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. He knows it. He, even in the belly of the fish, he acknowledges that God, yet you brought my life from the pit. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He knows his wickedness and he acknowledges his salvation. Yet here in this chapter, Jonah resorts to self-righteous anger, still wanting judgment, not mercy, despite God showing Jonah mercy, not judgment. He had forgotten his identity. This is why God asks him, do you do well to be angry? And the answer is, of course, no. He has no right to be angry here, no right to be proud. He has no righteousness of his own to stand on. Pride, that very first sin in the garden, thinking we know better than God, is what today will dry up our mission. We are reluctant to partake in God's mission because we forget the mercy God has shown to us. We have mission apathy because we have forgotten our identity and instead we become driven by religious pride. I was like the unforgiving servant in Jesus' parable. The man who is forgiven a great debt, but then he turns to his own servant and he refuses mercy. We see outsiders as the enemy. We look down on them with disdain of, of, instead of seeing them as as those whom God would have mercy. When we look at others, not with the compassionate heart of God, but with pride, our mission will be stunted. 
I'll never forget a moment. Um, I went to Melbourne uh, to see one of my favorite authors give a talk. Uh, but at this talk, uh, there was a bunch of protesters. They were really noisy, and you literally had to squeeze through uh, a crowd of, of protesters. They didn't like what he had to say. Uh, the speaker got up and uh, inside, and I remember him kind of mentioning the noise and the protest. Uh, but this man chose not to demean or, or to judge them, but rather he chose in that moment to pray for them and to bless them. And that has just remained in my, my mind the way that he extended compassion for he knew that God was merciful to him and longed to show them compassion to. They're not the enemy. They're not the enemy, but those God would long to show compassion. How do you see the city? The noisy socialist group on North Terrace? Or that political party that you disagree with? Or that bully at school or at work? Do we do well to be angry? Has God not been so compassionate to us? If we're to come alive to the mission of God, we need to check our hearts and remember our identity as those whom Jesus has shown compassion to. That's why I want to say, if you're not a Christian here with us today, we are so keen to share with you the good news of Jesus not so that we can prove to you that we are right and not in some way to assimilate you to become a good Christian person. But rather, we want to share with you this message of hope and life and love of God because we ourselves have been shown this kindness and love. We believe God's heart towards you is compassion. God is steadfast in his love and quick to forgive us if we would turn to him. Let's take a look at where Jonah's pride then takes him. So if you've got your Bible there, verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. The booth Jonah constructs is not just a simple rebellion, but it's likely a kind of, some people think, a sophisticated kind of theological protest that Jonah is giving against God for what God is doing in Nineveh. Jonah's little booth or tabernacle or, or tent is a strong reference to the 40 years of wilderness that Israel had to suffer in contrast to the kind of seemingly pathetic 40 days of repentance that the people of Nineveh will go through. And so jo Jonah kind of moves him, removes himself from Nineveh, this place of anger, to critique. Instead of being the prophet, Jonah would rather be the critic that stands afar and, and he watches on. Imagine if Jonah had his Facebook account, he'd, he'd be quick to remove himself, but get his keyboard out and be ready to give his opinion and his critique. See, I believe when we do what Jonah does, when we stand at a distance and critique, we will be stunted in our mission. We must never, never mistake criticism for mission. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't voice the truth. Absolutely, we should be vocal about what is true and stand up for justice. But our voice should always be rooted in love. In love. Why it's not us, why we are reluctant in our mission is because we want security and, and critique, not renewal. 
I want to read to you this quote by Mark Sayers. He says this, One of the greatest temptations of our day is to place ourselves not amongst the poor, the marginalized, or, or those desperate for the gospel message, but to instead remove ourselves to a place of critique, our own savvy, cutting-edge, self-driven religious spaces that rise up in reaction to what we see as the wrongs of mainstream culture. These spaces appear to be prophetic, yet when God's wind comes, they reveal themselves as self-serving. Their real purpose is to protect our wills, our agenda, our identities. Friends, we must flee this temptation. Our mission will be stunted if we do not confront this temptation to be the critic and to remove ourselves from the mission field and just rather stand afar on our safe perch and, and critique. Rather, we need to flee to the compassionate heart of God. The reason why we do mission. You see, Jonah was not interested in influence. He was interested in criticism. And we too must value, we must value love over security. We must never value our own security over the soul of the city. And, and God's going to teach Jonah this lesson in quite a, a comic way. Uh, God in his awesome wisdom. Uh, let's look down at verse 6 and take note of some of the repeti repetition and the language. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it, to come, made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Notice that the plant is God's appointment. God blessed Jonah with this plant to provide him comfort, but so too the worm and the scorching wind appointed by God. God gives and he takes away. Jonah initially, initially verse 1, exceedingly angry. Here we see him exceedingly glad. I just find this ironic. Wouldn't Jonah be exceedingly glad over a citywide revival? But instead his affections turn towards his comfort. He's very happy, very, very happy that this plant has come and brought him comfort and saved him. And then Jonah's protest, this, this protest against God is exposed for the hypocrisy and the double standard that it is. As God removes the plant and he strips Jonah of this comfort, God really exposes Jonah's heart and, and where his affections actually lie. Jonah, again, despairing, removed of his comfort and identity, finds no way forward. And we read, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And then I, I really love Jonah's confidence here, his response. It's kind of the, the gloves come off and he's just, he doesn't pretend anymore, ignore God's challenge like the first time. He just straight out blurts, yes, yes, I do do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And I love, love the lesson for Jonah here, God's response. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. 
and should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? God says to Jonah, you care for a plant, but you have no claim over it. You had no responsibility for it. You care for this plant, yet you criticize me for caring for the people of Nineveh. Jonah loved his plant comfort more than he cared for the people of Nineveh. And more than that, he's critical of God for showing them mercy. Jonah loved his security more than he loved the mission of God. He loved his security more than the mission of God. And, And forgetting who he was, the redeemed prophet of God, he would rather protect his own interests than share in God's heart for those that he loves, the lost. Our missional apathy and reluctance might be because we care more for our security than we do for the city. We may not see renewal in our city because as Mark Sayers put it, our real purpose is to protect our wills, our agenda, our identities. When we forget, when we forget the compassionate heart of God, we so easily can become driven by comfort and security and pride and self-interest rather than love, compassion and sacrifice, sacrificial mission. Perhaps the greatest challenge for us in the Western church will be letting go of our wealth, our position, our rights and comfort and instead clinging tightly to our original identity as God's beloved commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations. This is one reason why the Israel Folau controversy makes me uncomfortable. Now, I want to say that I believe religious religious freedom is important and worth standing up for. But we quickly can miss the compassionate heart of God if we are more zealous for protecting our own securities, our own interests, and dare I say, even our own rights, than we are zealous for the souls of the city who stand in the path of destruction under God's judgment. It may be why it's not us, because we are far more zealous for security, comfort, and self-image than we are for the love of God. The love of God. His compassion for His people. When all these things are stripped back, when we're stripped of our wealth and our position and our comfort and our rights, if God should appoint a worm to come and remove us of these securities and comforts, what's, what will be left? What will awaken us out of reluctance? What will, what will wake us to the center of our true identity? We need to be captivated again by the compassionate heart of God. Our affections need to be stirred for God and what He loves. God asked Jonah, Should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than a thousand, 120,000 persons. What Jonah had known, he, he failed to appreciate. The Lord God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. 
God's purpose for Israel was that through them, the offspring of Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Can we see God's heart? The beating heart of our mission is the compassionate heart of God towards humanity, to His glory. Jonah could only see judgment. He could only see a threat to his security and pride. But God saw with great pity a city of 120,000 persons, men and women and children, each with their own story and, and being and wants and desires and sufferings and hurts and needs. 120,000 who were living in wickedness and destined for destruction under God's righteous judgment. Yet even in God's judgment, He never ceased to love them. He was always true to His character, abounding in love and willing, willing to forgive iniquity if we would turn and humble ourselves and repent. And though there are billions of people today spiritually dead, separated from God, and as we look, as we look at the task, task to reach the nations with the gospel, it seems impossible but we must know that what motivates us is God's compassion for them. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It should grieve us as it grieves God that there are so many dying without a knowledge of the hope that we have in Jesus for salvation that God is willing to relent of his judgment. God says, Should I not pity Nineveh, who do not know their right hand from their left? In other words, an ignorant people who do not know how to save themselves, but also now a repentant nation who need the guidance of a prophet to walk in the ways of God. And so too, God cares about the city's productivity, a city of of great cattle, great resources that long for redemption to be used for noble use to the glory of God. See, when we see the need of our own city, we must see with God's eyes a God who is compassionate towards them. And when we see, our hearts too will be moved by compassion to share the hope we have in a God who is merciful. The city is not our enemy. but the subjects of God's love and his mercy. And so will the church be willing to lay down its security and critique and take up God's heart of compassion and calling, remembering our true identity? We're not an institution that needs to protect its own interests. Rather, we are those whom Christ Jesus has shown compassion and mercy to, once dead in our sins, but made alive to Christ Jesus by grace alone. For the judgment of God has been poured out on Jesus on the cross and we've been showed great mercy. And now we are his body called to be salt and light, called to go and make disciples of all nations because we share God's heart to love. You see, Jonah's failure as a prophet was always pointing to our, greater, to our need of a greater prophet, Jesus. Matthew records this. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, 
so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation to condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You see, Jesus did not stand from afar and, and critique as the Pharisees did. Jesus left the safety and the security of his home in heaven to come down and, and to live with us, to, to enter into our suffering, to stand in our place under the judgment of God on, as he died on the cross. To shake us out of our reluctance, we need to remember our identity. We must remember Jesus and his mercy, the greater prophet, the son of man, the son of God who came to rescue us. And the apostle Paul writes this in his uh, second letter to the, to the Corinthian church. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We get this in verse 20 as he finishes. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We employ you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What's going to shake us out of our self-reluctance and self-centeredness? Christ's love compels us. I love the ESV translation that says, Christ's love controls us. That is what rules our heart. We don't see the city with a worldly point of view, with critique and carelessness. Rather, we're moved by the love of God with pity for a people who are desperate, desperately in need of God's grace. And God is so, so willing to abundantly pour out His love. And then and the book of Jonah just ends abruptly. Did Jonah change his heart? Did this revival in Nineveh Continue? Did Israel now have this kind of great ally to, to join in? We don't know. And I, and I think the book finishes this way as if to invite Israel to remember its calling to be a blessing to the nations. God's heart for the nations has always been there. It reminds us, it points us to our need of the greater prophet, Jesus, and to captivate, our, uh, to captivate us again of God's true nature, a gracious God. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Will we as a church resist the temptation to protection and security and pride? And will God's love, will God's love be what moves us to live out our identity through community on mission to the glory of God? You know, sitting in my car in my final year of high school with my friend in the passenger seat, what he heard was Christianity meant rules 
and judgment and no joy. What, what drew me out of my slump in, in this faith, it really knocked me about. And um, since this time, I haven't been able to, um, as in, uh, he, he never came to know the truth of Jesus. And, and, I, and I kept trying. I think God has been uh, teaching me a lot. Um, We've got to, got to remember God's mercy and his love and his life is on offer. And I, that's one of my great regrets and I'm thankful for the sovereignty of God. What fuels our mission and shakes us out of our apathy is God's compassion, his steadfast love. So will we be stirred this week when we, when we sit in the barber's chair, when we leave our comment on social media, when we sit across from our work colleague, when we, when we sit across the table at dinner, when uh, we talk to our neighbor at the dog park or play with our friend in handball, when, when we turn on the news and see the nations, the nations in need of hope, will we see with eyes through God's heart, God's compassionate and merciful heart that longs to save? Should God not pity Nineveh, that great city? Should God not pity Adelaide? So many that are in need of his love. Will it be God's love that drives, drives us as a church for his glory? But it is his compassion that moves us to want to reach the nations for his glory. Let me pray. Our Father God, you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and we worship you. Just in this moment, as we consider how gracious and, and good you've been to us to save us, Lord, we deserved your judgment. We were, we're just as wicked as the Ninevites were, uh, but we thank you that you relented uh, from judgment because of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we pray that you continue to stir our affections for your love. And help us to see those around us, not as the enemy, but of those you love. And Lord, help us not to make the mistakes of Jonah and to be so proud. Uh, but Lord, we need you. We need your spirit to come and transform our hearts. May we just so treasure you, Jesus, and, and your great, great compassion. Lord, lead us where, wherever it might be that we would not stand afar and critique, but uh, to get our hands dirty, so to speak, Lord, would you guide us and move us? Uh, and as, we, as, as we've heard of those who have gone to the nations to share uh, this hope this morning and our uh, mission partners, I pray that you would keep raising up uh, more workers for the harvest field, moved by compassion for the nations. Uh, we thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.